And we are going to land the plane this morning on a series that we started four weeks ago called Wonderful Counselor. And so the, the title of the message came from a little prophecy tucked away in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. And he's prophesying about Jesus, a child that would be born that would do a lot. <laughs> a child that would be born that, that history would begin to, uh, it, all of history would set its timetable around this child. And Isaiah gives us a few attributes of what this child would do. He says that a son will be born, the government will be on his shoulders, and he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now that one term, Wonderful Counselor, is what we've been looking at over the last four weeks. And what that basically means, wonderful means existing outside of human explanation, and then counselor is just somebody who gives you perspective. And so one of the things that Jesus would do, according to Isaiah, is he would come as his counselor in our life to give us perspective, to ask questions, probing questions, right? Not just simple questions, how are you? That's like the, the common greeting in the South. How are you doing? I'm good. How's your mom and them? They're good, you know. Just, just real surface level. But that's not the questions that Jesus asked. Jesus asked specific probing questions that went to the heart of the people that he was talking to. And so we know in the New Testament he asked 307 questions. And we have a handout for you, a little booklet um, that we want to give to you for free that has all of those questions categorized by topics. So there's 307 questions. Well, we don't have time to look at all of them. And so in the Gospel of John, that's where we stayed the last four weeks. In the Gospel of John, there's seven miracles. Seven, you know, you would think there's lots and lots of miracles, but there's seven. Now, that's, that doesn't include the, three, the big three, right? The, the virgin birth, the resurrection, and the ascension. So there's seven miracles, and they all kind of build up on one another. The first miracle was water to wine, which is, you know, doesn't seem like a huge deal, but it was a big deal to that wedding party, you know, because they ran out of wine, and there were still guests, and, and, and they needed wine. And so Jesus made his miraculous debut turning water into wine. Pretty awesome. And so they all really build. Each one is a little more impossible than the next. Does that make sense? Is impossible a word? More impossible? They were, each one was, was more like, like it just was wild. Like they just kept building on one another. He restored sight to the blind man. He, made, he made, you know, took a, a little boy's lunch and fed 20,000 people. Pretty impressive. A man that was stuck in an infirmity for 38 years, he just walks up at the pool of Bethesda and asks him, do you want to get better? And he was healed. And so the, the four that we are looking at out of the seven miracles in John, the four that we are focusing on have questions involved in them. So these four miracles particularly, the, the catalyst was a question. Jesus walked up and asked a question. And today is the grand finale. So if you haven't came, you know, if you haven't listened to any of the other ones, that's fine. Today, it's all been building towards today. The miracle that we're going to look at in John 11 is the miracle that began the timeline on Jesus' crucifixion. This was the miracle that got him arrested. This was the miracle where finally the Sadducees, the Pharisees were like, we've had it with this guy. We've got to do something about it. And, and this miracle particularly is, is really the bedrock of every Christian faith. 
I mean, there's a lot of things that we practice as Christians, right? I mean, I, I, was, I was raised Catholic, so we said the, um, the Apostles' Creed every week. And it was, it was something that's been handed down to the church for thousands of years. And it was things that are important to the church that, you know, most denominations, regardless of what the sign says, you, you, you believe in like God the Father and you believe in certain things like Holy Communion. And, and within that Apostles' Creed, we said it every week, it says we, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so one of the things that Christians believe and that the Bible really talks about actually quite a bit is what happens after we die. Like, what happens? And I think that it teaches, the best that I can tell, is that Jesus came to save our soul. But if you had a broke toe when you got saved, you probably still got a broke toe. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it says he makes all things new, but it's, a, it's an inside-out job. That he came to save our soul, but there's a day coming where he's going to resurrect your body. That according to what, what, what Jesus taught is that, that our bodies are going to be sowed in weakness like you put a seed in the ground. And eventually, eventually, he's going to resurrect these bodies that we're in. We're going to get new bodies. And so our soul is saved, right? But our bodies are, are, are heading towards a resurrection. Paul said it is so important that if the resurrection didn't happen, the Apostle Paul, then our faith is in vain. Everything we do is silly. And that's the real thing that the world wants to know. Do you have an answer to this thing called death? What, what happens? What, what's going on? Like, like when we close our eyes for the last time and breathe our last breath on this side of eternity, does the Bible have answers for that? I think it does. And in this story, Jesus shows just what kind of power that he has. And so in John, there's seven miracles also in John, there's seven I am statements that Jesus makes. Statements like, I am the bread of life, I am the vine, you're the branches, I am the door, I'm the good shepherd. So those seven statements, again, climax with this story. He talks about not only does he resurrect, he says this statement that I am the resurrection. Now that's bold, y'all. That's why C.S. Lewis, he wrote, he said, Jesus was either a lunatic, a liar, or he's Lord. <laughs> There's no in-between. When you go around saying things like that, and that's what Jesus does. And, and the bedrock of our faith, the bedrock of our Christian faith, is that this life is not all that there is. It's a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. It's just a brief moment. And that every person, not just Christians, every person will live for eternity. That your, your soul and your spirit will go to either be with God or be apart from God for eternity. And so within this teaching, you know, it's interesting to me, I, I, I didn't know this. The Bible, you know, Christianity has taught this for a long time. But there's this new concept in science that I just found out about. It's called the superstring theory. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, the superstring theory. And so up until, I'm going to try to explain this the best that a redneck can. So there's four dimensions, right? There's forward, backward, side to side, up, down, and then the dimension of time, which is, so there's like four dimensions that we all live in. That's how we experience everything. It's in four dimensions. Well, science has, has proven now, they have found up to what they, they said it's 11 different dimensions, they call it the superstring theory. And basically, they, they went, you know, when I was in, in, in um, 
you know, middle school, high school, we learned about like the smallest part, like the smallest matter on the planet was an atom. Did y'all learn that? You know, and within the atom, there was like, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. Well, well, this super string theory says that within an atom and within the nucleus of an atom, that the atom is made up of even smaller little things. And they look like dancing strings. And they call it the super string theory. And they don't know what it does. Science doesn't know at all what it does, but they know it affects the natural. You can't see it. It'd be like if you, I mean, look out the window and there's a power line out there. It looks just like a line to your naked eye. But if you get closer and closer to it, there could be an ant just rolling around on that power line, right? That there's curvature to it. There's contours to it. Well, they're seeing now the, the smaller they can get and look at small microscopic pieces of matter that there's more going on than they realize. And so the super string theory basically says that there's up to 11 dimensions, that there's things happening in our world that we cannot see. And I love this because I've, I feel like Christians have believed this for thousands of years. Jesus said, I mean, he, the kingdom he talked about, he said, it's not of this world. You can't really see it with your physical eyes, but it's here. And so this, it's amazing that now even science is starting to see that what Jesus was talking about and, and teaching on and, and, and explaining is real. That, that this life is not all that there is, that, that there has to be more than just this existence. If this is all there is, I wouldn't be doing this. I'd find something else, you know what I'm saying? Like, like if this is all there is, if we're just going to live and go to sleep... And that's it, and it just ceases to exist. I mean, I feel like it takes more faith to believe that than to believe that there's life after death. Because I think, I mean, every person, no matter if they're atheists or whatever denomination, whatever background they have, you sit down and have an honest conversation with them, they're going to tell you some things in their life that has happened to them that they can't explain. Just things that they know, I mean, I, I don't, you know, and they may attribute it to nature, they may attribute it to something else, but we all know there's something supernatural about there's this life, that there's more, more going on than we can see. So the Apostles' Creed talks about it. One of my, I like this band, it's called The Band. You ever heard of The Band? They have this song called Atlantic City. I remember it like this. It says that, you know, Everything, you know, someday will die, but maybe everything that dies someday comes back. And I think they're right. And in this story, Jesus, I'm going to just kind of set it up for you. He was friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He spent time at their house. He knew them well. They had a relationship. And so it was very, very disturbing to Martha and Mary that when they called for Jesus because Lazarus, his friend, was sick, that he didn't come. And not only did he wait one day, you know, one day went by, the two days went by, he missed the sickness, he missed the bedside hospital visit, he missed all of it. He missed the funeral, the viewing, the arrangements to make them plan everything. And at this point now, it's been four days. And so Mary and Martha and Lazarus, again, this had to be really, really hard on that family because they thought that Jesus was their friend. And, and he was. But that's not something a friend would do, right? And if you call him and you let him know, hey, your, your friend is sick, you got to get here, we don't know what's going on. Well, he waited four days. 
And so I, I want to give you, I want to kind of go through this story, and I think there's, a, there, we see two different sides of Jesus in this story. We know that Jesus was fully man, and I want to go through the things that he did as a man, that we can do as, as human beings when somebody's grieving and going through loss. And then he did a few things that only God can do. <laughs> and I want to say, the, the, you know, waiting and missing the funeral and the viewing and showing up four days, that was a real man move there. <laughs> And that's something, you know, I, I, I don't think he, I mean, maybe he did it on purpose. I don't know. In that day, there was, you know, the, the religious leaders of that day were in two different groups, Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not. And so the Pharisees believed this, that after three days, they would, they would come and they would mourn when somebody would die. They would come and send mourners to be with the family and sit with the family as they mourned. And they did that for, for several days because they believed after day three, the soul would leave the body. So they believed that the soul was still there. And so they would mourn around the grave. Well, maybe, maybe Jesus waited four days just to go ahead and blow everybody's mind, right? The Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection and then the Pharisees did, but they didn't believe it could happen after three days. And there's this thing called the Lazarus effect. It's a medical, it's a medical term that this stuff has happened before. But Jesus walks up, and he's four days late. And so I want to pick up, I want to pick up where, with, with what he's met with. And so Martha comes out in verse 21 of John chapter 11. I'm just going to kind of go through this and read a few verses and then give the point. Verse 21, Jesus shows up four days late. Martha comes out and says, Martha, Lord, it, 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 saying this to Jesus, if you would have been here... My brother wouldn't have died. That's tough, y'all. I can't imagine showing up, at, you know, at a graveside or something like that or a funeral and the immediate family walks up to me and says, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. That's tough. So what's going on in Martha? I think what's going on in Martha and that goes on in all of us when we go through something like this traumatic, she's, she's in denial, right? What's the five stages of grief? We, we deny it. Then we get angry, then we bargain, and we get depressed, then we accept it. And now we're seeing with grief, and when we go through things like this, that we, we're all going to go through at some point, and probably most of us in here have gone through a trauma in the last 18 months. You know somebody, a trauma is basically when something happens to your life, and you can't do nothing about it. So that, that sounds a lot like the last 18 months. And so she's mad. She's mad. And she walks up to Jesus mad because they called for him and he didn't come. He actually intentionally waited. And if she walks up, and I, I mean, I can only imagine that, just, that you can tell she's been crying. You can tell that she's been mourning. And she points right at him in his chest and says, if you would have been here, this wouldn't be happening. And I want you to see what Jesus... I love this part of the story because this tells me everything I need to know about Jesus. Because she was so comfortable with this man that she could talk to him honestly. Right? She knew who Jesus was. She knew that if he would have been there, he could have raised up Lazarus. He could have healed Lazarus. They didn't have a, a place in their mind for resurrecting the dead yet, but they were about to. But they seen all the miracles. They seen him to heal the sick. So they had a place in their faith and in their mind for this 
And she was so aggravated, but that's not the biggest part of all this. The biggest part of all this is that Jesus, in her anger and in her, in her, and she's grieving, he doesn't correct her, he comforts her. God comforts this woman. And a lot of times we talk about Jesus, we talk about Jesus like he's a far off person, that he's God, that he's untouchable, that he doesn't really know about what goes on in our life and, in, and within you know, what we're facing. But this story lets me know that he's way more personable than maybe we realize. That he knows what it's like to walk in to a family that's grieving. He knows what it's like to lose a friend. He knows what it's like to go through this and, 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 to, and to be stuck with questions that have no answers to them. And he walks up, and this is, this, is what he, this is what he says to her. Verse 25, this is the, question, the first question. There's two questions in this miracle. We're going to look at them both. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So the first thing I want you to see about Jesus as a man is that he was full of compassion. He was compassionate. He went to the, I really think that his agenda every day was who's hurting the most and let me go to them. He would say things like, on his way to Jerusalem to do business, I can't go to Jerusalem, I need to go to Samaria. Why? Because I need to meet with a, with a prostitute. I need to meet with a woman that's, that's, that is hurting. Like, that was the, I think that is what he, when I read kind of the way he interacted with people, he had very little to say to the elite, to the religious leaders of the day, and he went to the broken, the downcast, the hurting. And, and, and maybe, maybe there's a reason why he did that. Maybe he knew that when people are going through those times of their life, that they're ripe for a miracle. That they're ripe, that, that, that God is the closest to us, not on the mountain, y'all, but in the valley. And on the mountaintop, it's real easy to talk about God. It's real easy to sing these songs. It's real easy to clap and put on a suit and act like everything's okay. But when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and that's when he shows up. And it's the moments, it's the things in our life we don't want, we don't pray for it. Nobody asks for this stuff. But it's in those moments where Jesus steps in and says, I'm here. I'm here with, 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 with love. I'm here with compassion. I'm not here to give answers. I'm not here to, to tell you what you did wrong. And it's interesting to me what he says to Martha. He tells Martha <laughs> that he's the resurrection and the life. He tells Martha that, that whoever believes in him would never die, that they would live again. And then he asks her, do you believe this? And so the first thing we see that Jesus as a man, how did he comfort Martha? He comforted her with truth. How do I comfort someone in my life that's grieving? Truth. Truth. Not, well, it could be worse. <laughs> or, or, well, it's going to get better because it may not. Or, well, I mean, it, it, it's okay, this too shall pass, just stick it out. No, he, he went straight to the heart of it. And that's what I, I think, you know, what, what religion, what, what, what real, I mean, true Christianity offers, it offers answers in moments of life that are the hardest. 
when you're looking at someone who should not be gone, when somebody slips into eternity too soon, they died too young, it's hard, it's painful, how do I comfort my friend that's going through that? Truth. He gives her truth. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do, do you believe this? And she said, yes, I believe my brother's going to rise again. I believe that at the, you know, in, the, in the resurrection, he's going he's to come back, that we're going to see him again. I'm going to know him and walk with him like I knew and walk with him while he was alive. So that's what he did with Martha. But then I want you to see what happens with Mary. And so he comforts Martha with truth. He tells her that, and again, he's revealing this truth not to the religious leaders, to his friends. This is the first time he has said that, that I can find. This is the first time that Jesus comes out and says, guess what, I'm God. I'm the resurrection and the life. I've got power over death. I can raise him up. Martha goes and gets Mary. Mary's at the tomb mourning. Mary comes back. She's upset. I'm going to read what happens here. It says, when Mary reached the place, verse 32, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, same thing. If you would have been here angry, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Now, that's a, I think that's a poor translation in the English. That means snort like a war horse. If I, that's what it means. The Greek word, that's one word, that's the three, we, English gave it. It means he was, he was mad, y'all. He was angry. He was deeply troubled. And Mary's in tears, and I want you to see this. He asked this a second question, verse 34. Where have you laid him, he asked. And she takes him to the place, verse 35. This was my first memory verse in Bible college. Put it up there. Jesus wept. And so how, as a man, right, as a person... He comforted Martha, Martha with truth. He gave her scripture. He, 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 he helped her see that, that, that he, he gave her perspective. There's life after this life. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be mad. But then with Mary, he didn't do that. With Mary, he cried. With Mary, he, he comforted Mary with his tears. And we see this wonderful counselor come to life here. And his approach to every person was a little bit different because I think every person's a little bit different. And, and when we're going through things like this in our life or when our friends and family are going through things like this in our life, loss and trauma and we're grieving, it, there's not a textbook for it. <laughs> I wish there was, you know, right? There's not like a three steps and they're going to be okay. And, and now, you know, they're saying that those five stages of grief, you can enter in and out of them within different phases, you might start with denial and then end with anger and then finally accept it, right? There's not like this, this perfect order. But I want you to see how Jesus responds. With Martha, he gives truth. With Mary, he cries again. We're seeing a part of God that it was hard for me to see most of my life. That he's so personable. That he's so relatable. 
He didn't come in with the solutions. He asked these specific questions, and he wept with those that wept. And it wasn't that, I mean, it's a short verse, but it means to cry out bitterly. This was not rehearsed, y'all. I don't believe that Jesus knew walking in, right, when I'm going to visit a family that may be walking through something like this, I've typically got a plan in my mind, right? Or, or this is what I want to do, this is what I want to say. But this is one of those moments that was not scripted. And this is where the real healing comes in my mind. This is where the real power comes when you're sitting with someone who's facing a trial like this or you're going through it yourself. You need God to send people in your life that are sensitive to his spirit and will weep with you and will cry with you and will laugh with you and will tell stories with you and will listen to you, right? And that will let you get mad at them and not get defensive, I'm learning now when people get mad at me, it's typically not me they're mad at. It's just a way of grieving, right? Angry, hurt people typically hurt people. And when somebody's hurting, they say things they don't normally say. They'll do things they they wouldn't normally do. And, And you see this with Martha and Mary. This is out of their character. They adored Jesus. They loved Jesus. They, they, they spent time with Jesus. But, but they were grieving. Their, their brother had died. And so he comforts Mary with his tears. Powerful. Pastor, what do I need to do when somebody in my life is hurting? It's a great question. Sometimes I believe the greatest thing you can do is just go and be with them. Just sit. Don't say anything. <laughs> Just be. Let them talk. Let them say what they need to say. Let them tell you what they're feeling and what they're facing. And we see that this is what Jesus did. He came and he knew exactly what he was about to do. But before he got there, he wept. He cried. He was with them. He went through it with them. He felt it with them. And that second question is, if we can put it back up there, that's a powerful question. Verse 34. And why did Jesus ask that? I mean, he's the son of God, right? He's om, omni, omniscient. He knows everything. He probably knows exactly where the tomb is. But I think there's more to this question, right? When Jesus asks an obvious question... There's something unobvious going on. And maybe that question would be better worded as, take me to the place where you gave up. Take me to the place where your faith ran out. Take me to the place where your theology ran out. I mean, you had enough faith for the stuff you've, you've went through up to this point, and, and, and you had enough theology to fit all this and what was happening in your life into this and make sense of it. But, but take me to the place where you gave up on me. That's what he was asking. It wasn't a location. It was something within Mary's soul and spirit. He says, I want you to invite me into the darkness that you're facing right now. With this question, he opened up all kinds of doors. With this question, I think he, he, he let, he, not only did he let Mary know he was there, but he told Mary, I'm willing to go with you to maybe the place where you haven't went anywhere else with anyone else. Now, this is what a counselor does. 
This is what Jesus does. The, the brokenness in our life, the stuff that we don't like talking about, the stuff that we don't want to eat, we don't even want to open that door again. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. Even just talking about this subject right now is probably making some people in here uncomfortable because you've got such a fresh experience with death, and it's hard. But Jesus said, I want you to lead me there. Because he's the only person that could go into those situations and bring hope. He's the only person that could go into those situations and, and bring some kind of clarity around what's going on. And so Jesus, as a man, he was compassionate. He showed truth. He cried tears. But then Jesus as God, what did he do? Let's, let's look at Jesus as God. Because people can only get you so far. You need a friend who can do something about the stuff that you're going through. And, and, and Jesus, he's, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But he's not any ordinary friend, y'all. He's a friend that can speak to death, right? And it has to obey him. Come on. Like, like, like he, he is a friend that can, that can speak into our lives and things that were once dead come to life. He, he's a friend that, that can speak to dead dreams and, and relationships. And, and so it's good to have a friend that will cry with you and will tell you the truth and show you compassion. But you need a friend that you can walk with you through the darkness of this life and know that even he commands it. And so Jesus showed up as a man and he took that hat off and then he put on the God hat. And he steps up and he says, take me to the tomb, Mary. And he gets up to the tomb and he says, roll the stone away. Again, he wants to get even closer to this. I want to read it to you. Mary is, she's like, I don't know about this. Um, it stinks by now. And I, I, he's been dead four days. But they do it. The first thing I want you to see with Jesus, I think, as God, is that, number one, he's not intimidated by death. He's not intimidated by death. I think I'm intimidated by death. I don't know an honest person on the planet, no matter how tough you are, that's not intimidated by death. We used to sing about it, I'll fly away, right? We, it's uh, 333 in the Red Bag Hymnal. But when you get to that point, <laughs> it's... it's, it's, um, it's it was Jesus, I think it was his number one enemy. And you look at the way that he reacts, and he gets mad, and he gets angry. At Mary? No. At Martha? No. At death. He left eternity to come down to this place where we're all walking around in these bodies that are wearing out so that he could feel and experience this. And maybe, I don't know, this is the first time that he's walked through this and had that man side of him, and he hated it. He was angry at death. Paul says it like this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So Jesus, we're seeing the man side of Jesus. We're seeing the God side of Jesus. He's looking death right in the eyes. And he was not intimidated. That's comforting to me. That lets me know that there's nothing that we're going to walk through, that you're going to walk through, that he has not already walked through. I think Jesus, the way he taught death, was it was just a doorway. It's not the ending. It's just a, a, it's a, a pass. It's a transfer. 
right? It's where we go from this side to the other side to be with him. And, and so he was angry with death. And I think he was angry with death because the Bible teaches we were never supposed to die. We were never supposed to die. Genesis 1 says it was perfect in the garden. There was no death. There was no dying. Until Adam and Eve, right? And that snake slithered in. And so it's unnatural. It's unnatural talking about it. <laughs> it's, it's quiet in the room right now because it's, it's just something that I don't know of human beings. We were supposed to experience it. And so Jesus gets angry at death. He looks it straight in the face. He commands for the stone to be rolled away. And then he says this. He says, Lazarus, right? Come forth. Powerful. I believe it was Martin Luther, he said that if he wouldn't have said Lazarus, if he wouldn't described and been selective with the name, every dead body in Israel would have came out of the grave. We see the power and the authority that this man has, that this God-man has. And so he speaks, this is what, this, what, is, what does Jesus as God do? He commands life even after death. And that's a beautiful thing, y'all, especially when you've put people in the ground and you're waiting on that day to see them again, especially once you get closer to that side of eternity and you have more people over there than you have here. You know that this Lazarus was just the first. Jesus resurrected his own body and he teaches us that there's going to come a day where he's going to do this exact same thing again. The trumpet is going to sound. He's going to let out a cry. And it says that the dead in Christ are going to come out of the grave. These are things I can't explain, y'all. I don't know how it's going to go. I, I can't explain the string theory to you. Somebody in here probably could, but I can't. But these are the parts of faith that we hold in a mystery. How does God resurrect dead people? I don't know. How does God resurrect dead dreams? I don't know, but he does it. How does God resurrect dead marriages? I don't know, but he does it. How does God resurrect dead relationships and dead churches and, and dead businesses and, and, and dead? I mean, he, he does it. That's what he's in the business of doing. We hold it in a mystery. But it's something, it's this truth that's going to get us through the dark days. And I know this is not, you know, a real, I'm not telling a bunch of jokes up here. <laughs> But I think we come to church to be equipped for the tough times, not the mountaintops. How do I live in the valley, Pastor? I mean, I know how to live on the mountain. Everybody wants to be your friend on the mountaintop. But it's in the valley where we really need to know. How do we walk through this? Jesus commands life after death. And I believe that. I have to believe that. I have to believe that every tear that you've cried, he's holding it in a bottle. That every person that you've lost, you didn't lose them. They just kind of, they've, they've moved on to eternity into a place whose builder and maker is God. And that one day we're going to be reunited. And, 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 and we, got, we, have, we have glimpses of this in Jesus and his resurrected body, right? He, 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 not only did he defeat the grave here with Lazarus, he, he resurrected his own body. Come on, somebody. And he walked around and, and he did certain things. It says that they could see the wounds in his hand, but he could walk through walls. He even ate some fish on the beach with Peter. I'm glad about that, y'all, because I like fried mullet. You know what I'm saying? Cheese grits, cornbread. 
some greens, collard greens. You know, that, that it's, a, it's, a, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be a big celebration. It's a, it's a feast. I think heaven's going to be a whole lot more like earth than we realize. You know, growing up in church, heaven the, on, the, on the felt board was these fat angels, you know, uh, flying around with hearts shooting bows at each other. I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be like that. I think it's going to be a whole lot more like this place than we realize. And there's going to come a day where Jesus is going to take all the pain and all the hurt and all the stuff that we have faced in this life that has caused anger and pain and denial, and he's going to resurrect those things. And in this story, it's beautiful because it's, it's not just a story. It's not just Lazarus' story. It's our story. It's your story. It's grandma's story. It's grandma, grandpa's story. It's mom's story. It's dad's story. It's that, it's that this God that we serve is able to do the impossible. And that every tear that we've cried, he's going to make sense of it. And then lastly, this is the last thing, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna pray. He calls, he calls Lazarus out of the grave. Lazarus, come forth, they roll the stone away. You know, in that day, they would wrap up the dead in about 100 pounds of cloth. Just on, their, just on their face alone, it would stick out two to three inches. And, and so, it, I mean, the best way I can, I can describe it is like a mummy. Like, so, so Lazarus would be, he was all wrapped up. And when Jesus calls him out of that grave, he wakes up, but he's like this. He can't see nothing, right? His face is wrapped up. He can't move his legs. He can't move his feet. And so he, he probably just hops out. <laughs> so, he, he, so, so, so Jesus calls him out, and, and he's, he's hopping out of the grave. I mean, it probably still smells a little bit. Maybe he sprayed some Febreze on it or something. I don't know. But I want you to see what he does. He just resurrects him out of the grave. He calls a dead man back to life. Surely he could do something with the grave clothes. He doesn't. He calls the disciples. He calls the people that are there. He says, I want you to loose him, unravel him, and let him go. Now, there's a lot, I think, to this. And I don't know exactly why Jesus did that, but I have a few ideas, I think, is why. I think, number one, is that even when God does a miracle in our life, we still need others to help us walk out of it. And so maybe you haven't been resurrected from the dead, but maybe God delivered you from addiction or depression. Or maybe God delivered you from something in your past that's so dark you don't like talking about it. You don't even want to talk, you don't even want Jesus getting close to it. And that even miracles expire. Lazarus still died. But this real little piece on the end of this story reminds me that I need people. That I need others. That Jesus is there at the foot of the tomb, but he still involved the disciples and everyone around in the freedom of Lazarus. He was alive, but he was wrapped up. You know anybody living like that? I'm alive, pastor, but I got so much stuff in my life, I feel like I can't even breathe. 
And what does the wonderful counselor do? He gets people around Lazarus that can unwrap him, that can get that old stinky grave clothes off of him. We all have old stinky grave clothes in our life. We all have it. I think this is a picture of salvation, you know, that Jesus raises us from death to life. We're not, we're not okay people that, that God makes better. The way the Bible describes it is we are dead. And when Jesus speaks into our life, that, that first baptism of salvation, we are we come to life. And a lot of times we come to life and we're alive and we're like Lazarus. We got this addiction, we got this hurt, we got this pain, we got all this stuff wrapping us up that happened, to, happened 20 years ago, but I still can't talk to that person. I can't talk about it at all. I can't even go to that church because they go there. I'm thinking about sitting across from them at Thanksgiving this week and I may just get a ticket and fly to Nicaragua because I don't even want to see them, right? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. We're, we're, we're wrapped up, we're alive. I love Jesus, I'm Christian, I can sing it. I, I can confess it, but man. And so Jesus as God brings freedom to the dark areas of our life. The dark areas of our life, the stinky areas, the smelly areas, we all have them. And if we don't know what they are, we need a friend in our life to show us because everybody's got it. And I want to just end this, this, this series and pray right now because this is, I believe this is the miracle working power of God in our life. Now, we may not be resurrected from the dead. We will one day, but that may not be your experience. You may not get it twice. <laughs> Lazarus will. But you may be resurrected from some bad, dark stuff. And the wonderful counselor may be wanting to help you unravel for some things in your life that have got you held back. And are you open to that? Are you willing to take Jesus to that place that maybe you've never taken anyone before? You see how many times that they tried to stop him? He had to keep asking, take me to the place. They get, he gets to the tomb, roll away the stone. We don't want to roll away the stone. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't want to share that with you. I don't want to open that up to you. A lot of times if we can just bring it to the light it'll get better and the way that we bring it to the light is we tell somebody about it we tell God about it we tell Jesus about it but we talk about it because I'm finding the closets that I've closed in my life that are so dark and, 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 and angry and scary they're not as angry and dark and scary as I thought Sometimes we got to go back and open up those doors, turn over some old stones. Why? So that we can be healed, so that we can walk in freedom, so that we can get these grave clothes off and do what God has called us to do. And thank God if you have that in a person. Thank God if you have that in a friend, in a mentor, in a pastor. But I want that for every person. I want that for every one of you because it's helped me so much. You know, I, I tried to act like I just had everything together for a long time. And I got to pay somebody to listen to me whine. You know what I'm saying? But I do. I do. <laughs> 
by the time I get done, he, he's smoking a cigarette, pacing in the office. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this kid's messed up. No, 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 no. I'm joking, y'all. I'm just kidding. He, he smokes outside. You know? <laughs> Anyways. Whew. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that there's freedom in you. We thank you that you've come to give us life and life more abundantly. I don't think you've called any of us to live in a dark, discouraged, depressed state. But you've come to bring light in the darkness. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are our wonderful counselor. That you know things about every person in this room that maybe no other person or human being will ever know. And you're not intimidated by it. You don't, you don't walk away from it. You don't shrug away from it. But actually, you want us to invite you into those areas. And so, Lord, that's our prayer as David prayed. Search our heart. We open it to you, Lord. If there's anything in there that doesn't need to be there. God, if there's anything I haven't confessed, I want to confess it. If there's bitterness, anger in my heart that I'm holding towards another person or towards you, Lord, I bring it to your feet. God, we thank you that you're compassionate, that you're full of mercy, you're full of grace. You don't run out of it. We thank you that you don't get tired of hearing our problems. but rather you come down and you walk with us through them and you hold our hand and you cry with us and you comfort and you bring peace from another world, almost like a deposit, knowing that this is not all there is, that there's more. And so Lord, we just ask, I even just in this moment now, we open our heart to you, God. You're the wonderful counselor. We pray for healing, Lord, in the deep areas of our life, the areas of our hearts, Lord, that maybe we haven't gone in a long time. We open them up to you. We just give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.